Let's pray. Father in heaven, You're so good to each one of us. You offer Your presence to us. You offer to walk amongst us here today. And so Lord, we lift our hearts to You. We thank You. We ask for Your presence now as You send the Holy Spirit upon us. Guide us to understand and to see ourselves in this story. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Quite a few years ago, the BBC reported that people would decide the kind of relationship they wanted based on some first encounters with the other person. Almost within minutes of meeting somebody else, they discovered they would decide what kind of relationship they wanted to have, positive or negative. And so this report goes through the research that was done at the Ohio State University where they paired off 164 individuals, put them in pairs, and had them focus on friendship. What kind of relationship do you want with this person and all of that? So they only gave them a limited amount of time, and Ramirez, Professor Ramirez says this, it's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy. We make a prediction about what kind of relationship we could have with a person, and that helps determine how much effort we are willing to put into developing a relationship. This is kind of a summary before he even describes the research. He says, in summary, that based on how much energy we want to put into a relationship, that's what we'll get out of it. Now, you could be thinking about your personal relationships. Yeah, that's fine. Or relationships in the church. But eventually, we're going to take this research and we're going to show how it applies to our church. And Richie, can you um, adjust the volume back there? This is really loud on my end. If I think we could become friends, I'll communicate more. Imagine that. Tell you more about myself and do things that will help ensure a friendship does develop. If I have a more negative prediction about a future relationship, then I'm going to restrict communication and make it harder to develop. That makes sense, right? It's almost like you would eventually avoid the person or not communicate with them very well. And, 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 and oftentimes when conflict does happen, communication is one of the first things that shuts down. Well, they go on in this research, and what they did was they paired these 164 individuals up. They would have them meet for short meetings, which the first meeting only lasted three, six, or ten minutes. Now, I don't know exactly um, the demographics of that, how, much, how many of them had three and six and ten, but the students were asked to complete a questionnaire after that short meeting. So imagine you met somebody for three minutes, and you just talked about who knows what, Right? And then after that, they pull you aside and have you fill out a questionnaire. And how would you envision your future relationship after three, six, or ten minutes? That was the real question. They stated during, uh, on that questionnaire how much they felt they had in common and how much they liked the person they had just met for those few short moments. That was the first questionnaire. Then nine weeks later, they gave them a second questionnaire. Asked what kind of relationship had developed in those nine weeks. Now, you, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out what's going to happen here. If they rated it positive from the start in those three, six, or ten-minute meetings, then at the end of the nine weeks, they had a positive relationship. Maybe not uh, love in a sense or whatever, but a positive or deep friendship had started developing. But if they rated it negative from the start, then it was negative nine weeks later. Nothing had changed. That speaks volumes about several things, but especially our relationship with God. Tuck that away for a moment. This was to talk about the idea of falling in love or things like that. It could happen in a 
few brief moments, and you could develop a relationship, a beginning of a relationship, a positive one, just a few minutes of meeting somebody. But he concludes this. He says, that tells you things are happening very quickly. People are making snap judgments about what kind of relationship they want with the person that they just met. The person they just met. And those impressions carried over some time later. What if we applied this to our relationship with Christ and with one another? We've been talking about staying connected with Christ, and if we stay connected with Christ, then then we have union and unity with one another. But what would happen if, for whatever reason, our picture of God was super positive or negative at the beginning? Well, you would think it would continue on in that same train of thinking. And if I had a negative relationship with God at the beginning, could I ever change? Could I ever all of a sudden have a positive one? Well, yes, you could. This isn't like all of a sudden you're fixed some destiny or something strange like that. This is just saying the impressions you make at the beginning of a relationship will last. And there I am with Jesus, a new believer. And if I don't maintain that relationship with Jesus... I don't find time to spend with him. And I'm not just talking about knowing facts about him from the Bible, but actually reading the Bible and, and, and engaging and asking him to guide me as to how our relationship is doing. Then I could have a tale of lost love. And you know what? There are a lot of them in this society today. I stand before you healed. Healed. From some past broken relationships, especially between my mother and my father. And I can tell you, it took 30-some years to get there. And it really did not break through until I brought it to the foot of Jesus and I said, you know what, Lord, there are a lot of tales out there. There are a lot of broken relationships, but I want a new start with you. I don't want this to control my current relationships or my future ones. And maybe that has never happened to you. But it's happened to a lot of people in our society where there's divorce, where there's relationships that come and go, where there's, there's, there's misconceptions about what they should expect from the other person and, and they never get it. And so there's, there's a lack in our lives physically, but also spiritually there could be a lack as well. And so I don't want to have a tale of lost love when it comes to Christ. I want to be able to go to the Bible and have that experience that I had at that old prayer meeting years ago. There I was. It was May 3rd, 1999. I got out of a correctional facility. I went into uh, a prayer meeting on a Wednesday night. It was May 5th. And as I went to that prayer meeting, guess what happened? Hugs. I mean, they were just hugging me left and right. And they were telling me how I didn't have a chance, that they'd been praying for me for like a year or two. And there I was. Now, you think that relationship with the church will continue, even though there'll be ups and downs, that, that I would still tuck that away and say, you know what? That church loved God and they loved me. There have been some ups and downs. But I still love God and I still love His people. You. And I think that your church has done something for me in the last year that, that could not have been done without you. God somehow has used you, used your circumstances, and has brought me closer to Him through it. And I'm thankful for you as well. It didn't just happen in that prayer meeting. But I remember one of those prayer meetings some months later after that huge, beautiful welcome. 
that I was sharing some witnessing experiences and I was saying, I, I don't know what to do with this person. They don't seem to be responding to as I'm talking to them about God and can you pray for them? And, and I remember them praying for me, encouraging me. And then sometime later, I come back with a beautiful report <laughs> that this person actually opened their doors to me and we're having Bible studies and all this. And, and I was so excited. It was just bursting over like a, like a fountain, just bubbling over. And somebody said this. Yeah, we've all had that. First love. And I was a new believer, so it kind of just water off a duck's back. I didn't even notice it then. But years later, I analyzed that. And I thought to myself, wow. And it's almost like everybody else concurred. Yeah, first love. And I thought, wow, could it be that the whole church felt that way? But they were so loving and so kind and all of that. But, but when it came to sharing that Jesus, maybe it was their witnessing style, I don't know. But, but that statement echoed in my mind for years until here I am today unpacking and saying to myself, could it be possible that we could come week after week, open up lesson after lesson, Bible verse after Bible verse, and still be saying to ourselves, yeah, that was first love. I don't have that anymore. I'm not as connected with God as I used to be. Well, actually, it could happen to a whole church. In fact, in Revelation, it does happen to a whole church. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 1, the angel of the church in Ephesus to them, write this. These things saith he that holds the seven stars in his right hand, he that walks in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. What is going on here? Well, we have a message to a whole church. And God, back in those days, we find these messages would be written down, like John would write down the letter of Revelation, and it would be literally be given to a messenger at the church at Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, all of that, right? Uh, you find in Revelation 14, the three angels' messages, the everlasting gospel being proclaimed by three angels. But we do know that in Matthew 28, that was given to the church. And so angels, in a way, yeah, they're angelic messengers, but also could be human messengers. And here you find, imagine there you are at that church in Ephesus, and this letter begins to be read to you by the messenger, the one who's been appointed to read the message to you. And it says... Yes, there's angels in your church too, besides regular human messengers. I understand that. But this message says, this message is coming to you from He that holds the seven stars in His right hand who walks in the midst of, He's right in the presence of the golden candlesticks. And so we know the seven stars in the previous chapter are, are the messengers or the angels. And maybe God assigns an angel to our church or a whole bunch of them, in my case, to our churches. I don't know. Uh, it's so like wherever I go, he needs a lot of them, some reinforcements or something. But anyway, uh, maybe he does do that, but he also assigns people to deliver the message. And so imagine they're hearing this message, and it says that, G, that this person holds the can, is right there in the midst of the candlesticks holding these stars. And what are the candlesticks? It's the churches. Jesus is right in the middle of his churches. That's why to reject the church really gets to the point where there might be something wrong with your relationship with Christ. Churches do hurt people because there are hurt people who hurt people in the church. But as a whole, Christ has set up the church to help us learn how to get along here and to be better off in the heavenly family later. And so there he is in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, in the midst of the churches. And it says here more about him. He holds the seven stars he walks in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. This is none other than Jesus. And if that, if that somehow doesn't fit in your mind, go back to chapter 1, verse 12. You find there John is. He turns to see the voice that spoke with him. And he turns, he sees seven golden candlesticks. Similar scene, right? 
And in the midst of the candlesticks, one like unto a son of man, so a human being, clothed with a garment down to the foot. And by the way, the son of man was a term Jesus used for himself. He was girt, or tied about at the breast with a golden girdle, oftentimes synonymous with victory, as well as the, the sanctuary service. And his head and his hair were white as wool, white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like unto burnished brass, as if it had been refined in a furnace, and his voice as the voice of many waters. And so imagine, there you are, you're John, you receive this message, you begin to, to hear, and you turn around and you see candlesticks, and one standing there, like the Son of Man. And you know that terminology because it's Jesus himself said he was the Son of Man. And in his right hand, seven stars. Out of his mouth proceeds a sharp two-edged sword. It's not just Jesus standing there. He's got this sword coming out of his mouth. And his countenance was as the sun shining in his strength. Hmm. Who is this? It's got to be Jesus because you find him being called the Son of Man. It's got to be Jesus because in Revelation 19, we find Jesus is described as coming on a white horse. And out of his mouth proceeds a sharp two-edged sword. And so... What's that, that writer's name in Revelation 19? King of kings, Lord of lords, Word of God. And who is that? It's none other than Jesus. So here's Jesus appearing to his friend John, and eventually he appears to his whole church through this letter. And what is he really saying to John? When I saw him, I fell at his feet as one who was dead. He lays his right hand upon me. That's the hand that holds the seven stars, right? He lays that hand upon me saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, the living one. I was dead and behold, I'm alive forevermore. So who is called the Son of Man, is called the Word of God, all of these things, you start putting them together, and who was dead and now is alive, it's none other than Jesus. And who's the one who uttered fear not to his friends when they were discouraged? Jesus. And he says, I am the first and the last. There's only one first and the last in the Old Testament. You find it's describing a the Lord or Yahweh, and you find this is who Jesus is saying He is. And the living one, the one who always exists, is there any other correlation in the Old Testament to that? I am sent you. The existent one sent you. So you find here is Jesus being described and describing Himself as, from which He is God, the first and the last, and He has the keys of death and Hades. So if there is a time in your life or an experience where you feel like it's unmanageable, or you don't sense God's presence in it, or you wonder, where are you in this? Jesus comes to his friend and says, don't be afraid. I'm right there beside you. Placing his hand upon you, saying, fear not. Trust me. You can go through this. And he doesn't always say, only just say that. He says, I can make you alive again. This is encouraging because when we get down to the church at Ephesus, they have lost their first love. And he comes amongst the candlesticks. And he comes as the one who wants to usher in life again. And so what a description of a friend. I mean, there he is, right amongst us. There he is, powerfully portrayed, but coming right beside us as a friend and saying, fear not, I am with you. And so we should expect the message from heaven then to the church to be one of encouragement. And it is one of encouragement, but it's more than that as well. You find he says, I'm standing there in the midst of the golden candlesticks. And you all Old Testament scholars, some of you, you know this is talking about the sanctuary service. Wow. 
Some people don't like the idea, the, the, the sanctuary message, but if you look at it, it's pretty clear this is right here in the text. Jesus, up in heaven somewhere, near candlesticks, it's portraying something, how He's intimately acquainted with His church, but it also it describes what He is doing. He's not an absentee landlord. He is right here with us if we would acknowledge His presence. And we go to the Old Testament to find some of these answers as to what He's doing now. But in short, in Hebrews chapter 1, it says that God spoke in various ways and various times in the past, but in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. So since the time of Jesus, the end of days has been ushered in. Yeah, you say it's been going on a long time. That's true. But maybe that's because it took that long to get your attention and my attention. Look down through the stream of time. He knew we'd be sitting here today. He's the first and the last. He knows what it's like to be spiritually dead and alive. He knows how to resurrect that. And he looks down through the stream of time and he says, Murray's going to be standing right there today needing this encouragement as much as he's delivering it to the people. And what's he doing in these last days? Look at the sanctuary. You find that this is one model of it. People like to artists like to portray it. But in essence, it was the place that God would dwell amongst them. He would live. His presence would be there. And as you go on down into the, into the holy place, which is almost a description of what's going on in Revelation. You find them in that first compartment there. I'll go back so you can see it. There's two compartments in this building here. The first one looks like this on the inside. The priest would bring that blood of the sacrifice and they would go through some rituals there. But you notice there, what else is there? Candlestick. So as of the writing of Revelation, which is the last days according to Hebrews chapter 1, a phase of Christ's ministry didn't just end here in this world. It actually continued up into heaven. And He is still pouring out His love and grace to us today. And once a year, we would find something special would happen. And maybe this fall we'll get into what that is. Uh, but for now, I want to focus on this one here. There the priest is. And those lamps would have to be kept burning. And it, whose responsibility was that? The lamps? <laughs> no. You pretty much just... You're just a lamp, your being, yeah, that's who you are. Um, but we have a little more responsibility than that than just passively doing nothing. We can invite His presence and He can light our lamps. And this is what He says here in verse 4. I have this against thee in Revelation 2, that thou didst leave thy first love. So you're one of these branches on the candlestick, Ephesus. And as I look at you, I love you and I, and I want to bring my presence in your midst. I'm right there with you. But you've, you've done something. You've left me. You left your first love. I'm right there, but for some reason you don't notice me. Is Jesus there in the busyness of our lives each day? And why don't is it is it his fault that we don't that he's not noticed, or is it ours? So it's our choice then to acknowledge that he's right there in the midst of us. It's our choice today to acknowledge that he's right here with us this morning as we focus on him. What happens here on Sabbath morning is only an encouragement for you to do what we do here each day, each Sabbath, as we focus heaven where we're encouraging you to go home and to do the same thing as an individual and as a family, to do that. Otherwise, you could lay something precious aside. Some of you watched, uh, when I first got here, I used to wear my sunglasses up here. 
Um, what happened was I <laughs> arrived in April of last year. I used to wear my sunglasses, and I'd go in my office, and I'd, I'd tuck them in. And since I don't wear a tie for four reasons, one of them is a biblical reason. Uh, you can talk to me about that later on. I accidentally tucked my sunglasses there, right? So imagine there you are, and maybe it's not a church, but you've tucked your sunglasses there, and you're out hiking. And those are not just the dollar store kind like I get. Okay? Maybe you get something more expensive. I get the dollar store kind. And so I can, my kids can break them and all of that. I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to get mad about it. I can, it's a dollar store, right? So, but you've got this valuable set of sunglasses, and you've you got them right there, and you're hiking along, and for some reason they've gone from here to there, and you notice sometime later they're missing. And they're one of those kind that costs some money. What are you going to do if you really want to recover those things? You're gonna, I'm going to look back down the trail. I'm going to go at least a little ways back. Hey, I took them off my head. I'm going to have to think back and remember now, what did I do? My mom always told me, think back. What did you do before you lost it, right? So you're going to think back, and you're going to remember, oh, yeah, I sat on that rock over there, and I was eating a granola bar, and yeah, it must be back over there, right? That's the logical conclusion. You left something behind. It wasn't on purpose. It wasn't malicious. It wasn't like, I hate those rich, fancy sunglasses, you know. You just, it just happened, right? This is what he's saying here, is that sometimes in life, as you progress through it, and I progress through it, we don't mean to, to leave Christ behind or to not invite his presence into a situation. Sometimes it just happens. And he's not really rebuking us for that yet. He's going to go on and rebuke us for something more. He has this against us that we somehow left off, maybe inadvertently, our first love. And he's telling us to, the first love is what you had at the start. And he said earlier on, you could have that any day if you wanted to, because I'm the first and the last. If you acknowledge my presence, you can have that love right here today. And the question I had as I read this was, Murray, have you lost your first love at a time or two? I look at the symptoms and I see it could have happened. Have I been too busy and left the loving one behind? There's a lot of good things that I can do and you can do. But this is saying you must do something more. Have we grown too busy? Doing too much? Or in the cases of this church in Ephesus, they were on the defensive all the time because of everything that was coming upon them, all the false teachings, false apostles. You heard that in your Scripture reading. And for some reason, they just didn't spend time with Him. They knew about Him. But for some reason, and they knew how to defend him, but for some reason there was a lack of connection there. And so it speaks to my heart as much as it probably does to yours. And you say, well, you don't understand our situation today. We have smartphones, and we've got satellite TV, and internet, and television, and the old kind that you pull attach the cable on the back, right? And we have all of these things that we're too busy. We, I, I got to watch this program and that program. And, you know, I do get my sermons on the internet too. and and, and I do spend time knowing, thinking about God, don't I? And, uh, yeah, you do, and so do I. And we are busy. And we've got a lot of distractions to take ourselves into la-la land besides focusing on God. But they were busy too. As far as I know, Anderson's not a metropolitan area. They were in a metropolitan area, but they, 
as far as I know, this isn't exactly flowing full of art and culture and, and huge museums, British museums and all of that. Well, back then, they had some pretty big edifices there in Ephesus. As far as I know, we're not a university town. We'd have a community college and university and stuff to the north of us. They were a city of education. Their library would be like a university library. And as far as I know, we're not a major commercial trade center with business people of the day coming through here all the time just, and they want to settle here and put skyscrapers up. You look at Ephesus and they had a lot of distractions. Just the very environment itself was a distraction. Here it is, located on the Mediterranean Sea. You've got these churches here, back here, the seven churches as well. But Ephesus, out of all of them, had the likelihood of not focusing on Christ the most because of everything that was going on there. It was a port city. It had a metropolitan area of the day. And we find not only that, they had their forms of entertainment as well. Prestige, get-togethers. Not only that, look at the library. I mean, look at how small those people are compared to, they're like right down here. That's the height of them right there. Huge library system. So our library, if you take Reading and that put together, um, I mean, scroll upon scroll there. Place of education, place of learning. And we not only find that, we find a temple of Artemis that was sitting in that town. And yeah, you could be the shepherd with the sheep down there at the bottom and kind of not have much to do with the town. But you know what? A time or two, that would affect you because they had in that town fertility rights and immorality, the likes of which would rival Reno or Vegas probably. But they did it in religious garb. Not saying they were that big, but they had this temple there to the fertility goddess. They worshipped the moon, wild animals. They loved hunting. And as a result... The church had to oppose that, had to literally guard against that. But the church also had another problem. There were some amongst them who engaged and allowed themselves to be changed by the culture and then come into the church. They were the false apostles, and they were the ones who had the teachings of Balaam, and those were known to be individuals who, through their cunning, would lead people astray to the point where they would commit immorality. Now, if that was going on in this church here, I mean, our elders and I would just draw a line real quick, especially if we knew it was going on. And so imagine that's going on a lot, drawing a line here, drawing a line there. Ooh, I mean, you're just constantly barraged as a church. It feels like it's safe when you come here, but then all of a sudden it starts popping up in the church and disunity might start coming in and, and you're just, all of a sudden, you're focused on the conflict rather than on the one who could help you through it. I mean, that can really happen to a group that loves the Lord. And it was happening to them. No fault of their own. And so they were busy, lots of distractions. There was lots of educated people, false religions, immorality in that society. They were busy opposing that and trying to hold to Jesus. But for some reason, Jesus tells them, you, didn't, you, you really didn't stay connected with me. You lost sight of me. And somehow the love that you used to have, it's not there anymore. And so, what's the solution? Remember, therefore, whence thou art fallen. I mean, they didn't even realize that they had like literally tripped and fallen on the trail and were down. Not only did they lose their sunglasses, but they had literally wounded themselves in the process. Fallen. And he says, repent and do your first works, or else I will come and remove your candlestick out of its place, except you repent. Repent. Re so repent. So remember, repent, repent. 
You're not going to be able to repent of your own strength. Then this is the point. What would motivate me most to want to do the right thing? For Jesus to come to me and say, Murray, that it doesn't always work very well. There's a time for that. But if I would remember what it was like when I first got to know Christ, I would want to do those things again. Do you remember when you first met somebody that you decided you want to have a relationship with? That was what we talked about at the beginning. Um, you put a lot of effort into that relationship. And some people put a lot of effort these days until they're married, and then after that there's not much effort. But a true love would go beyond that. It would continue choosing. First love, choosing love, would continue on. And then it would make it so that you would have the first works again. It'd be like recording that person again. Taking them out to this thing or that thing or bringing them gifts or compliments or praising them. How much time do we spend praising God, telling Him, you know what, God? You're so good to me. Just a praise, like we give a compliment to our spouse. What would happen if we were to do that and say, God, I know I'm not exactly my spouse, but in Ephesians it describes you as the, as the husband and us as the, the bride, and, and I want a deep relationship with you. And so they must remember, rehearse in their mind, it means, what it was like at the beginning in order to repent. So if you wonder why I've been talking about spending time with Christ, spending time in the Word of God, it's because I want you to remember, and I want to remember, what it's like to spend that time with Him. And I was spending a thoughtful hour for a while there, but I've discovered that it's like a walk, you know? If you try to do five miles at one time, some people can do it, some people can't. So you, if you can't do an hour, like Ellen White talks about, a thoughtful hour each day, if you can't do an hour at a time, break it up into 20-minute segments. It's like a walk. Break it up in, into segments so you can do it. But spend that time with Him, focusing on Him. And then you'll find yourself doing. In essence, you can live again. If you do this, Focusing on Him, His work, and His Word, you live again, and you can have that first love experience. And I want that every day of my life. But we must remember, if we lose the first love that God put in our hearts, then eventually we could lose the author of that love Himself, Jesus Christ. And that's a real experience that you don't, and I don't want to have. So i got to take time, Murray. Murray, take time. Behold Jesus. Remember what He has done for you. Or you could be another tale of lost love. Not like what you've experienced in your past, but a tale of lost love with God. Alright, young people, there's your answer. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time here because we're going to move on. Psalm 91, 1 and 2. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High will abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, excuse me, I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress my God, in Him will I trust. How much time am I spending with this God? And as I read this text, and I thought about the church of Ephesus, the whole society could be going to immorality and everything all around them, but they could still have that peace and that love of joy with God if they would spend that time in His atmosphere of grace. Steps of Christ says the whole world is encircled with an atmosphere of grace. If we would breathe in that life-giving atmosphere, changes would take place. And that only takes place when you spend time alone with God. 
Last year we had that tent up here for the kids and we talked about T-A-G, time alone with God. Spending that time with Him in the secret place. A place that not any one of us knows except for you and God. Kind of like when you're a kid and a friend of yours says, hey, I want to show you a place. And you go and it's a secret, right? It's more than that though. This is intimacy with God. This is spending time with Him. One-on-one. You, if you were to have your secret place and I was to have mine with God, it would help foster a love in our hearts and a love in our church that would grow and just spring up all the way out into society around us. And it could change society that way rather than just dealing with the symptoms of society. And so I need to spend time with Jesus in the secret place. That's where I need to pause and remember. And now more than ever. The conclusion of the rebuke, we went like this. He encouraged them. You have this. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Those are the ones who had that false teaching, immorality, things like that. There's a lot more to it than that. Um, we've been hearing a lot about this uh, in different ways, in different classes, but I won't focus on that. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him that overcometh, to him will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And so how can I overcome Jesus already told me by remembering, recovering that first love, and doing the first works. They go together. You can try to do the first works, but if the love's not there, eventually you'll get discouraged. So go back and remember. It's kind of like when my wife and I used to write letters a lot. We've got this tin. It's a golden tin. It's got all of our letters in it. But when you, when you get really busy sometimes, you can look at those. I mean... You move from place to place and those letters get wrapped in a box somewhere and they're there and then maybe, maybe because you're too busy you didn't get that box unloaded. And is it that you were trying to neglect your relationship? No. But it's time to pull that box out. Open it up. It's right here. A whole bunch of letters for us right in the Bible. And to remember. He is the spouse in this relationship who's reaching their hand out continually. Touching. Showing affection. Not for the wrong reasons, but for the right reason. Just join me in the journey. Take my hand and we'll do this together. And so we can overcome by loving this God, which in return empowers us to love one another. And so we must constantly go back to the experiences we have with Jesus. We must find a way to remember them and remind ourselves of the first love. What works for you may not work for me. What works for me may not work for you. But find some way to remember and do it daily. And then we won't have to be a tale of lost love. You look at Ephesus now and the progression since the time that John wrote this letter down and it was delivered to that church. That's been quite a change. Some people wonder if the candlestick has, in fact, been removed from that church. Ephesus is in modern Turkey, as some of you know. Paul planted that church there. You find a whole letter, which is what we're going to be unpacking starting next week, to the church at Ephesus. And that letter... And the letter we find here in Revelation, let's just say that if they were completed by 100 A.D., you'd be looking at 280 years of the church going against that culture, trying to establish roots, and then eventually Christianity becomes an official religion around 380 A.D., some people believe. So 280 years, and they still had a community of faith there. And then Christianity became, of course, not just the official religion there, but eventually around the empire, and 
what happens after that? Eventually, the Muslims go to war with the empire of the day, and the Muslim religion becomes the religion of that place. They imposed a 50% tax on all non-Muslims. But if you can imagine that happening to you, um, that happened to the Christians. And if you were a Muslim, it was only 10%. So if you were kind of a surface Christian, well, eventually you would, you would give in to it. And that's, that depleted the ranks of Christianity there. Of course, the true Christians remained underground, um, and some of them endured that tax. Today, you find 98% of the population, which is around 73 million, is Muslim today in that country. Could you say then that somehow maybe, maybe they didn't remain connected with Christ and their love wasn't there? No, you can't say that. We don't know. But the candlestick seemed to be removed until I went on the internet and started doing some research. In fact, uh, Pastor Garcia talked about visiting Turkey and finding four believers there counting the pastor when he went there years ago. So somehow the love of Jesus resurfaced. They have 120,000 Christians there now. 67 members that are Seventh-day Adventists with three churches. So that's not very much. You just take everybody here and scatter you all into three churches. You'd be looking at the work officially in that country. But underground, it's a lot bigger than that. Would you say that their love for Christ is burning bright? Or totally out? We can't really tell for sure. But they, they tell me that when they baptize one Muslim. They are overcome with joy and tears and they just feel so blessed by God. I would say that's a deep love for God. And so it seems to be having come back. It begins, it's burning bright. And I think this gives us hope for our walks with God. Even if it goes through our, we go through trials and tribulations and struggles, we can stay focused. We can regain that love every day. We can have that first love experience. And guess what? It will never go out. We can, we can actually take Jesus by the hand and He will walk with us all the way into that paradise that we read about and we will be with Him forever. And it will not be a tale of lost love, but a tale of found love. Next week, we'll begin looking into the book of Ephesians some more to see what was it like with this church that had a first love experience. because Ephesians was written before probably Revelation. And what, were some, what are some things that we can learn from them to maintain our connection with Christ? And so I want to encourage you in your journey with Christ. Stay connected with Him, with each other. And then with those connections, you can impact and connect with the world. Our closing song is a little kid's song. It's kind of fitting that we had one during the song service. And now we have one at the end. It echoes from my past. It says, yes. Jesus loves me. If you'd like to stand, feel free. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to Him belong. They are weak, but He is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me.
Yes, Jesus loves me, the Bible tells me so. Jesus loves me, he who died, heaven's gate to open wide. He will wash away my sin, let his little child come in. Yes, Jesus loves me, yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me, the Bible tells me so. Jesus, take this heart of mine, make it pure and holy thine. On the cross you died for me, I will love and live for thee. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Father, you're great, wonderful, and beautiful God. You love us so much, and we're thankful for that. Guide us to tuck that away in our lives and to invite your presence into our midst even as we leave this place. Help us to remember each day what you've done for us so then we can face the things around us. Help us not to face them without you, but with your love and strength and power. Bless each one here. I know you look forward to hearing our voices each day just like I look forward to hearing my little kids' voices. Help us to unite our hearts with you in love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.